Uh, one more important announcement that isn't on the green sheets. Uh, from September, we're going to do things slightly different, uh, September onwards. Instead of having two services on a Sunday, we're just going to have one service, and it'll be on Friday evening. And that will hopefully help you make better use of your weekends. Okay, thankfully, there's quite a few chuckles in the audience. Okay. The, the perp, that, that is, that's not true, by the way, just to, just to clarify. That's not what's going to happen. But hopefully, by just starting with that, it's put the question into your minds, well, why do we meet on a Sunday? Some of you might have been thinking, uh, well, this is ridiculous, and that's why I got a few laughters. Some of you might have been thinking, hey, you know what, that, that's a real good idea. If we, if we got it all out of the way on Friday evening, I've got the whole weekend to myself. And so it throws up the question, why do we as Christians, not, and not just this church, why do Christians around the world meet together on a Sunday, and why so often are we meeting twice on a Sunday? Well, what we're doing, basically, is we're following the pattern of the New Testament church, those first Christians who met together to encourage one another, to worship God, to be taught by God's word, by the apostles, um, on the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. But those first Christians who we are copying, those first Christians didn't make that up themselves. They've got their principle from the Jewish practice of observing the Sabbath. And the Jews get their practice from the Ten Commandments. So I'm sure most of you have at least heard about the Ten Commandments. The Fourth Commandment says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So that's where the Jews get their practice. However, even that commandment is not the the first uh, instance of the Sabbath. There is a Sabbath day that's observed before the commandment is even given. And what we've read this morning is that the Sabbath day isn't just instituted by that fourth commandment. The Sabbath day started right back at creation. So today we're going to think about what is this Sabbath day that was started at creation. And I'm not going to try and answer all the questions that you might have about the Sabbath, about how Christians use Sundays, about about what we should do, about what we shouldn't do. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and explain just what was the Sabbath. What was its purpose? Why did God create this seventh day? Why did he rest on that day? What is it all about? And hopefully, if you can see the answer to those questions, what is the purpose of the Sabbath, that will help you then, as you think in your own life, okay, then what should I be doing on the Sabbath? How should I use my Sunday? So first, what is the Sabbath? Well, the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means, literally, to stop or to cease. So why is the Sabbath called uh, the Sabbath then? Well, it's because this ceasing is exactly what God did on the seventh day. That's what we saw from Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested. He sabbathed from all his work. He stopped, he ceased. And that begs the question, what does it mean for God to rest? When we think about rest, I'm sure what most of you will do after the service this morning is go home, have quite a big lunch, probably a hot meal, and you'll sit down in a nice comfy chair, maybe with a book, maybe with a cup of tea, and you'll doze off. You'll have a rest. Okay. Is this what God was doing on his very first Sabbath? Well, when we talk about God resting, we need to be clear, this does not mean 
that God is tired. When you read chapter 1 about how God created the world and everything in it, you get the sense that, wow, this is just a walk in the park for God. All he has to do is speak. And there it is, the exact thing that he wanted. He says, let there be light, and there was light. He speaks, and the stars come. He speaks, and the animals are made. He speaks, and humanity is made. All he has to do is speak. We don't get the impression that God is weary or tired or that he needs a rest or that he is sleeping. So when God rests, it doesn't mean that he's tired. It also doesn't mean that God is doing nothing. On this Sabbath day, it doesn't mean that God is doing nothing at all. From other parts of the Bible, we're told that God is actively involved in the world that he has made. He sustains it. He upholds it. If God withdrew himself totally from creation, it would all cease to be in that very moment. It would just stop. God is still actively involved in creation. And aside from that, in verse 3, there are a number of verbs showing that God is doing something on this day. So, for God to rest doesn't mean that he does nothing. However, it does mean that God stops his work of creating. Everything that God had intended to do in the first six days, he achieved. Everything that he had intended to do, he achieved. And so chapter 1, verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Chapter 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were completed. There's nothing more to add. It's all finished, it's done. And so God now can stop his work of creating new things. There's nothing more left to put on there. So this rest that God has, it's not like the rest of recuperation or or relaxation. It's the rest of achievement. So imagine, for example, a king who's gone into battle with his armies and, and he's leading his troops in battle and eventually he wins the battle. And once the battle's over, he can sit down to rest from that battle. But it doesn't mean he stops working. He's still got to negotiate the peace treaty with with the people that he's conquered. He's still the king over his people. He's still got to govern them and rule them. But he rests. He puts his sword back in his sheath. He steps down from off his horse. He can rest in the achievement that he has accomplished. And the important thing that Genesis chapter 2 is teaching us is that this rest is instituted as a pattern for the rest of creation to follow. So God's rest becomes a pattern for the rest of creation to follow. Think, for example, why did God rest on the seventh day? If it was just for God's sake, why didn't he just rest at the end of the sixth day? Why didn't he just stop then? Well, there's a clue in the text. In chapter 2, verse 2, in the NIV that I've got, it says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. If you've got an ESV or some other translations, it says something like, on the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. The idea is that, God, yes, God has completed his work of creation. Everything's finished. There's nothing more to add. It's all completed. Yet, on the seventh day, he finishes it off. It's like he puts the icing on the cake. He adds the finishing touches. It's, the, it's like the, the seal of quality on the Rolex watch at the end of the production line. It's all been made, it's all ready to go, now it's just signed and checked off. It's like the director's signature at the bottom of the letter 
or on the check. Everything else is done, it's ready to go, but here it's finished off, it's completed. The creation is already very good. There is everything there that God wants to be there. And yet he finishes it on the seventh day. It's only completed once he's given this pattern of rest. So the creation is only finished once the Sabbath has been given. And although God has no need of a day of rest, yet he does rest. Why does he rest? Well, not for the benefit of himself, but for the benefit of the creation that he's made. And specifically, for the creation of mankind, who he has made as head of his creation. Mankind, we heard last week, are the image bearers of God. They're the rulers of the creation that God has made. And when we listen to Jesus' teaching about the Sabbath, this is exactly what he says. He says, you know, the Sabbath was made for the good of mankind. Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the good of mankind. Look at Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 and see how else this text indicates that the Sabbath is made for our good. Verse 3, And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. There's those other two verbs that I mentioned, the doing things that, that God is doing on this, on this seventh day. God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. What does it mean for God to bless this day? Sometimes we say that blessing, to be blessed, means to be happy. So, for example, if you think about the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Um, happy there is, a, is an adequate and perhaps helpful explanation for what the word blessed means. But it's not a full explanation of the word blessed. Because how can God make a day happy? It doesn't really make sense. So we need a better definition of what the word blessed means. And to give us a definition of this word blessed, it, it might help us to think of what the opposite is. So what's the opposite of blessed? Cursed. Yeah, exactly. Cursed. And what does cursed mean? Well, to be cursed is to be out of favour with God. To be cursed is to be cut off from God and fellowship and friendship with him. To be cursed by God is to be under his judgment. And if you know the story from Genesis 3, you might think about the curse in Genesis 3 to, to picture in your mind just what this curse is. But we're talking about blessing, which is the opposite of curse. Blessing, then, is to be in favour with God. Blessing is to be in relationship with God, in close fellowship with God. Blessing is to draw near to God. Therefore, God blesses this seventh day. He makes it a time when we can draw near to God. The second thing he does is he makes it holy. Now, we've spoken about what holiness means a number of times at Hollywell over the past year or so. And our little working definition is that holy means different and devoted. To be holy means that you are different and that you are devoted. You are different. You are set apart. You are not like the rest. So you think of, for example, the holy place in the tabernacle or in the temple. That's a separate place. Not anybody's allowed to enter into it. It's reserved. It's cut off from the rest of the area. You think about the holy things, the utensils, the bowls and things. They're not bowls that you can go and use for your everyday meals. They're separate. They're different. They're made of different materials. You think about the Israelites being a holy nation. They're to be separate from the nations around them, not to intermarry with them. They're supposed to be separate. So, separate or different 
is part of what holiness means. But not everything that is different is holy. So this is where the idea of devoted comes in. It's got to be different, but it's got to be devoted. It's got to be devoted to God, reserved for his use and his use alone. It's got to be devoted to God's honour and his glory. God himself is described as holy. And so everything that belongs to him is also holy. So God blesses the seventh day and he makes it holy. And so by blessing and making holy this day, God is showing that there is a special time for us to draw close to him. There is a special time reserved to honour God and to worship God and to serve God. And remember that this Sabbath is put in there before the fall. This Sabbath is given knowing that Adam and Eve will spend the whole week in God's presence. And yet God gives one day out of seven for them especially to draw close to him. For them especially to serve him. For them especially to worship him. Even before sin entered the picture. Now we're starting to get a better picture of what the Sabbath is all about. God rests, yes. And his rest establishes a pattern for the creation to follow. But the Sabbath isn't mainly about the rest. It's not as though God is setting up the Sabbath because he likes it when we're on holiday. God hasn't set up the Sabbath so that we can have a little rest from everything that we do one day a week and, you know, to keep us sane. That's not the primary purpose of the Sabbath. The primary purpose of the Sabbath is that it is a holy day, a blessed day. God rests from his work and he asks us to rest from our work in order to create the space for this worship and for this drawing close to him. And if you look at the fourth commandment, that's exactly the pattern that you see there. The commandment is, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The main instruction of the command is, keep it holy. It's the holiness that is the forefront of what the Sabbath is. But in order to make it holy, in order to have time to draw near to God and to worship him and serve him, you've got to rest from the other things that you do. And so the rest instruction comes after that first instruction. Now, if you're a Christian wondering how you might best use your Sundays, then having this understanding of the Sabbath will, I think, really help us clarify some of those points that we often get stuck on. So here are three statements that I have heard people ask or say about the Sabbath. Now, I'm not saying these are the most common, but I hope that most of you have heard at least one uh, or can recognise one or two of them. So the first person says, you know, I'd really like to spend some time doing sports on a Sunday. I know other Christians frown on sports on a Sunday, but, you know, doing sports, it really helps me to relax. And so I think, yeah, on a Sunday, that's a good time to be be doing sports. and It's helping me relax. Another Christian might say, you know what, I've got no problem doing my schoolwork or my university work on a Sunday afternoon. Because I know it's a day of rest, but, you know, I get a rest on Friday evening and Saturday morning when I go out with my friends. So I don't really need that rest on a Sunday afternoon, so I I don't feel bad about doing my schoolwork then. 
Another person says, I try and keep the Sabbath as best I can. I don't go shopping on a Sunday. The reason I don't go shopping on a Sunday is because if I go into a shop, there's somebody got to serve me. And I'm causing them to work on a Sunday. And the Sabbath is all about a day of rest, you see. And so I'd, I don't want to go shopping because I would be causing someone else to break the Sabbath. There are three statements that I've heard people say about the Sabbath. But the problem with those statements is that each of them prioritise the issue of rest. All of them are starting from the viewpoint that the Sabbath is all about rest. So the guy with sports is saying, hey, sports going to help me relax. The guy in his schoolwork is saying, oh, I'll get my rest some other time. The guy talking about shopping is saying, if I go shopping, it's not going to allow someone else to rest. But the actual priority of the Sabbath is not the rest. The actual priority is the holiness aspect. Time devoted to worshipping God, to serving him, to drawing close to him. And so, joining a sports club on a Sunday, it might help you relax. But ask yourself this. Does it help you worship God? Probably more practically, is that sports club going to stop you from meeting with God's people to worship him? That would be a more salient point. That would be a more important point to consider. What about doing your schoolwork on a Sunday? Yeah, you might get your rest on Friday evening or Saturday. If you're a student that followed a pattern like I did, it's rest pretty much 90% of the week, you know? But choosing to do your work then on Sunday afternoon, that's hindering you from worshipping God. It's distracting your mind from drawing close to him. And when it comes to the issue of shopping on a Sunday, on a day that God has set aside for you to draw close to him, for you to worship him, then going down to the shops and, and wandering around, aren't you, isn't the bigger issue there that you're putting yourself in the way of temptation? You're causing your heart to potentially covet after other things that are not God on a day set aside for you specifically to draw closer to God. That would be a more significant issue to consider rather than just the issue of causing other people to work on a Sunday. Now that's not to lay down any laws or rules about how each individual Christian should use their Sundays and what you should do. But I hope you can see that by understanding that the Sabbath is first and foremost a holy day and the rest is there to facilitate that holiness, that's a helpful way to keep in mind when we think about what should I actually do on my Sundays? How should I use this day? The Sabbath day is a gift. It is made for your good. And those who seek to observe it, in my experience, will find it a blessing. And in the promise of scripture, we'll find it a blessing. But the Sabbath isn't the answer to the world's problems. It isn't ultimately the answer to the difficulties in your life. Even that person who most strictly observes the Sabbath does not make themselves immune to stress and burnout and mental health issues. Even the person who most uh, strictly observes the Sabbath is not immune to becoming spiritually cold, distant from God. The Sabbath is not a quick fix to sin and its effect in our lives. And as many Sabbath days that you're able to observe, you've got to remember, Monday is always coming. 
But the Sabbath day does give us hope for something better. And that was the argument of Hebrews chapter 4. That's why we read from Hebrews. In that chapter, God said, uh, the, the author said, God has finished his work since the creation of the world. His rest has been, his work has been done. He has been resting ever since the creation of the world. And what God is doing is he is inviting us to share his rest. He's inviting us, come, share the rest that I now enjoy. And his rest, his creation Sabbath, is a rest of true blessing. Not an incomplete rest, tainted by the curse of sin. It's not a rest of inactivity and uselessness. It's a rest of victorious accomplishment. It's a rest of enjoying those things that God has already done and already created and already achieved. And the promise of entering God's rest still stands. The promise is still there. You can come into this rest. Now, we don't enter God's rest just by observing the Sabbath. That's not how you get into that rest. Uh, the, Hebrew, the, 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 the writer of the Hebrews, he makes this point because he says, look, even after the command was given about the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, even after that command was given, the promise was made again. You can still enter my rest. So was the rest then, entering God's rest, was it about entering the promised land? No, the author says. Because even after the Israelites entered the promised land, the promise was still given. Enter my rest. The Sabbath that Christians observe each week is a sign. It points us forward. On the Sabbath, Christians rest from their work and we devote time to worshipping and serving God. And it is pointing to the time when one day, when we enter the new creation, we will rest. We will be free from the toil and the difficulty and the curse that this world is under. We will be free from working and struggling and the painful toil against sin and death in this world. And we will have opportunity to worship and serve God just as we were designed to. We will be made like God, like Jesus, our Saviour and God. We will be able to worship him just right. And Hebrews 4 tells us that to enter that rest, the gospel message which is preached must be combined with faith. You might have heard the gospel message many, many times. You might have heard so many times about how you are a sinner. How you are separated from God. Because you've broken his laws, because you've turned your back on him, because you've worshipped other things. You might have heard many, many times about how Jesus died on the cross to take your punishment for sin. But have you combined that message with faith? Have you accepted it? Have you believed it? Have you repented from your sin and turned to Christ? Have you stopped trying to offer God your own goodness and cling to Jesus instead? The letter to the Hebrews says, the only way to enter God's glorious rest, his eternal rest, the only way is by accepting that gospel message in faith.